This is Frameform. Uh, who wants to start? Um, <laughs> let's go, Claire. Oh, gosh, let's go. here goes. Let's go, okay. Claire. Let's go. <laughs> Get your back on the wall. Just kidding. All right. All <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Jen to the house. Hannah to the house. Well, I wonder if that gives you a hint as to what we're talking about this week. It's another music video episode, but more specifically, we're going to be visiting what we've largely referred to as a trash heap of a cultural era, mm-hmm. but we're going exi- to we're going to excuse music videos from that. And specifically, we'll be talking about none other than Missy Elliott. I disagree. I don't think it was a big trash heap, but it was the height of uh, pop culture tabloid culture it's okay you just said tabloid so i would put Huge that in turn trash off heap. right and i would put the fashion in trash heap and i'll put consumer culture mm. peak paris hilton being the it girl like that's a dark time hey, for hey, 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 hey paris isn't that bad <laughs> i respect paris hilton she's a national treasure well, it's just like, imagine everything that you see on BuzzFeed or all the clickbait stuff that you see on the internet. Imagine if that was on TV all the time. Right. Right. E-entertainment also at a height. I think something very iconic about this time period, too, is it was kind of before media exploded massively beyond a point of no return. Like, of course, the internet was around in the early 2000s, but YouTube wasn't really big until 2007. Yeah. So I love that the video we picked to really focus on today, because I think it totally represents this bridge between the music video channel, music video awards, billboard topping, pop star world that we had of the music industry before it kind of collapsed into the internet culture. It's, it's really is on the cusp there. Basically, we're looking at a time specifically between 2004 and 2007 when things were just starting to gravitate to the internet space. Now, YouTube officially was founded right around 2005. So the music videos that come in right before that are sort of this last gasp of TV-centric entertainment or TV-centric creation. While they're short little nuggets and they're short, uh, very visually stimulating ones, they are playing for a captive audience and they're not necessarily competing for your eyes against other forms of media. And as far as content and celebrity image and branding is concerned, this was a very different time than what we find now where This was peak, as Hannah said, like this was peak tabloid paparazzi era. And that was the equivalent of seeing a more natural post that someone might put on social media. But as far as artist-driven creative identity, the music video was an essential part of anyone seeking success in music at this time. And there were a lot of really great examples of not just, you know, artists that had an entire body of work of these visual albums that were inseparable from their body of work musically and their visual identity. But you also had specific directors that were really making a name for themselves and heavily influencing the aesthetic and 
our expectations of what a music video is and could be. Yeah, I remember watching MTV, VH1, and uh, there was another network called Fuse, and yes. they were doing Fuse. more al- yeah, alternative music videos, but... And we also had much more music and much music in Canada. Not sure if no. you had those. We didn't down have here. them down here, but I always watched the um, made-for-TV sh- like specials that they had, and I was jealous that you guys had them and we didn't. <laughs> like pop-up video and fromage type specials, or stuff uh, like stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> which I th- I think um, really quickly. I just want to mention as I was thinking about this, like time in consumption and production music videos were so prevalent that there was the birth of reaction videos which fromage kind of was that you also had top tens and charts and like you know anytime you reach a point of saturation there needs to be an action of like curation and organization and classification of of the stuff otherwise it becomes overwhelming for audiences and they may lose interest or not know what's cool and I think this was kind of like as you said Claire like the last gasp like this was the last opportunity before things completely exploded into the landscape we see now which is endless channels and algorithms and you know the three of us here I bet the platforms we use the apps the channels the curated playlists we've made our media landscapes look nothing like like each other. Totally. Yeah. Yet 20 years ago, they would have been very similar. Yeah, it's interesting how internet has changed the game of music video watching uh, from then to now. I still think there is some, yet almost a lot of similarity still to how this all occurs and what is in and what is not. However, it's just not, we don't have Carson Daly and the musical guests there to present their new work. I mean, not a lot of people are listening to the radio, which is another source of where pop music is being sourced or Right. found out about i mean we or have... if they're listening to the radio it's usually like a very specific station or like a very specific satellite right kind like of if we're using sirius xm or apple music which is also a huge kind of almost like a little replacement of what trl was when we have these celebrity djs such as mm-hmm. uh, or like ryan seacrest zane lowe and so forth and they're replacing that conversation in, instead of in front of a you know a live audience in New York City Times Square you know they're in the studio recording and you're listening it to it in your ears i think an important consideration too is the economics and the early 2000s is also not just when youtube and online media consumption was taking off and this idea of like the personal experience the personally curated um, music or visual library you also had Napster and Mm LimeWire and all of these other platforms that had dramatically changed the economic landscape of the music industry the dance industry I'm sure other 
sectors as well, but certainly music and dance. And actually, um, we can link this in the show notes, but I just want to call back to one of our Frameform Season 1 episodes where we talked with Stephen Butler, who actually was in some music videos of this era. Um, most notably, I would say, Chris, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. But um, yeah, we'll link that episode in the show notes, and he talks a little bit about that as well. Um, but what I wanted to circle back to is with iTunes Music is the economics. I wonder how much of it is artists paying or their labels paying for certain rankings and how that feeds into then people end up watching it more and you know the fact that it might still not be reflective of actual popularity even though you can actually track views and and things like that easier online than you probably would for like tuning into a tv station yeah and these releases they're still they're still setting up the premieres i know that i mean youtube is the biggest source of where that where those releases are being shown and they are publicized whether that be through the artist's social media channel on Instagram or TikTok or if people are actually following the artists on Facebook but I do get those notifications I mean Charlie XCX is one of my favorite uh, artists out there and I get the notifications so it's interesting to see how stuff like Missy Elliott resurfaces over 10 years later, almost 20 years later, and yet shows a very prevalent view in the music video landscape of what we're watching today. Well, before we dive deeper into Missy, Dave Myers, those music videos, can we just quickly spitball a few of our favorite artists or music videos from this era that we're talking about because it was really tough to narrow down like we knew we were going to do a music video episode this season because duh gotta do that every season then it was the task or the adventure of narrowing down the focus so these were all I know a lot of the ones I'm going to mention were ones that were like on my list of, oh, this would be so good to do a music video episode. So maybe if you're (laughs) listening, if you want to let us know um, for future music video episodes, what you would want us to deep dive. I mean, we can totally look at NSYNC or Gorillaz or Outkast. Um, We've already talked about Chemical Brothers. Um, Oh, no, sorry. Fatboy Slim, Weapon of Choice. Um, What are some music videos that you two remember fondly that you would like to name drop here oh my god artists I, I um well first of all vh1 was always like my pre like before i went to school routine like i would always have breakfast and like turn vh1 on so a lot of these were literally like kind of like my alarm yes. clock wow and the one um <laughs> the one that really sticks out i think it's also a 2005 release is mr brightside i Love that video. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the killers were um, great for half an album, approximately. <laughs> but I mean, those the first five songs on Hot Fuzz are just, they still slap. They're incredible. Yeah. Those are bangers. That album is a banger yeah, overall. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I love that that song. It's, um, I mean, I went to my college reunion recently, and <laughs> I think we played it like five times. And just 
memories of that um like over the top moulin rouge kind of aesthetic Totally. That had a big moment in the 2000s. I feel like we kind of cycled through a lot of Halloween tropey things. Like, yeah, it was like little dipping our toes into like, oh, now we're now we're dressing like it's the 30s and we're wearing my chemical romance and now like (laughs) pirates in, right? And now like hippie is in and boho and like I I feel like we. Did a lot of jumping around, had a lot of crises in that time period. Right. But it was kind of awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Claire, it's funny that you said, like, VH1 was your alarm clock in the morning. I was watching the news because that's what my parents watched first thing in the morning. But after school, when I got home, I would watch MTV or I would watch Fuse Channel and I mean, back then, loved J Lo. Yes, loved her music videos. She's the reason why I started making screen dance. My first screen <laughs> dance was Jenny from the Block. No joke. Wow. Um, loved Outcast. I mean, all their albums. Uh, who else? Oh, it not. I didn't. I wasn't a fan of this person's music videos back when I was younger, but like. When I got older, especially during grad school, uh, my friend and I would do music video <sighs> journeys where we would just watch music videos for hours and just jump around. Such a grad school um, thing to do. <laughs> but like, don't T-Pain. worry, we're being academic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, T-Pain was someone that I love his music videos. They're so funny and they're so out there. He's such a good singer, um, too. It's just he's he's also uh he's also a live streamer these days on Twitch. Never thought I'd be but, on a stream. Uh, yeah, T Pain. <laughs> I mean, I gotta mention like Usher, Janet oh, yeah. Jackson, yeah. and definitely someone who's really out there artistic leaps that I would I would link to Missy is Buster oh, Rhymes yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. I can't think of anyone mm-hmm. Else, that's even like in their league as far as what what am I watching? Ludacris played with like visual perception quite a bit too, and I definitely don't claim to have an encyclopedic knowledge because I was honestly like seven years old <laughs> when some of this stuff came out. But like, <laughs> definitely, the, they stand out to me in a long term way, and even just in conversations over the years, I feel like when you say Missy Elliott or Buster Rhymes, it's like, oh my god, like in a oh, league yeah. of their own compared to a lot of the others that might have been big at the time, but there's something to be said about being so iconic of your time that, you know, you almost represent it in a time capsule, but you're also relevant years afterwards. Yeah, I find it interesting, just to move forward, Dave Myers, uh, who was the director of a lot of missy elliott's music videos not only that we found out that he was a director in a lot of pop stars music videos <laughs> including outcast and yeah and Katy perry and then if we go forward in time i mean he was doing kendrick lamar's stuff as well as billy eilish that like talk about someone who's incredibly known especially for 
I think is topped as like Guinness World Record for most played song is Bad Guy, uh, which oh, that wow. is an iconic music video of its own for its absurdity. Mm. It's not Baby Shark. I don't know. I think it's for like <laughs> a pop song. It's a uh, Bad Guy is. I think that's it. But but also the stuff like that's always influenced by. It's hard to like really compare across a long time period because it's like okay that's during the streaming era when someone can have music on like a whole bunch it's still a huge accomplishment and it's worth noting the popularity of the song but I guess what I'm trying to show is like it seems like it's easier for things to get more inflated numbers nowadays because you might just have it on repeat on Spotify versus back in the day that the the general day of the past pick your day it was a Wednesday whatever (laughs) year that day is um (laughs) and you had to like request the song or you had to put your record back on a certain track or something your record you mean your cd player yeah your well for this music it would be your cd player I don't know if they were putting the vinyl um these songs on vinyl but I actually, when I do listen to new music, I do tend to get a vinyl of it and just have it have it at home. But it's really not too much, to be honest. No, yeah, I agree. I mean, like, it was all about the record sales. It was all about what was playing on MTV, the radio, who was broadcasting it, what those numbers were, who was buying that. Music video awards. Yeah, which labels had the stranglehold over the executives of these companies as well right Mm -hmm. yeah I mean this was kind of the days before also uh, I mean I'm really big into indie rock but like the before indie really started creeping into the mainstream Mm -hmm. where labels like Merge and like 4AD and like Sub Pop were still considered independent labels right and now that's so with this nature of streaming and a lot of people actually getting a lot of traction on self-release stuff indie kind of defines more of a vibe rather than where the like what label the music is associated with mm-hmm. um it, by right. no means i don't does that term represent necessarily independent artists anymore but also at that time you know it was we were seeing films from very you know a very discreet number of labels and others weren't really reaching didn't really have those ins to to put out the music well, and I think even the ideas of mainstream and indie have become so fluid recently because even if you just look at major media consumption and where people get their news, like the legacy media isn't getting as much as people that subscribe to podcasts or specific like YouTube channels or, you know, other other platforms. People are definitely in this a la carte customized yeah consumption pattern and I I think that is something really fascinating about these music videos is it really was I feel like part of a smaller pool of cultural reference which kind of made it more more potent for its time as well right right but something that I really love about Loose Control you know we're going to talk about a lot of great things that it does but as far as situating something in a time and a place Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's got some historic references and what I believe to be like a little bit of a nod to the future. Oh, yeah. It's got these I like these iconic things of 2005. Like she's randomly got this little terrier 
yeah. purse right. dog thing in one shot. And then she's got like the Nokia phone yes. with the stylus. Right. Yes. Like, and Sierra's bangs. Oh my God. Those bangs are so early 2000s. Like, <laughs> I just love that this specific video is such a good example of being of its time, but also having some really good um, fluidity between like what it's calling back to and you know what it's indicating as far as forward movement of where music videos were headed talking about the future i mean especially the one thing that we notice right away when we open up with this music video is the digital effects to it with the really high contrast lighting like so high contrasted that like all you could see are like purple hoodies and white sneakers and maybe their eyes and with that I mean it just keeps going from there of just stylization digital manipulation going from what you can see and what is real versus not real when we get to her on the sand and obviously her head is detached from the rest of her body and just the extremity as far as the color grading goes too like it's very very like each scene is very um very intentionally stylized which is huge for that time by the way that was a huge huge thing in not just in music videos but in all filmmaking at that time and the use of digital effects helps it really shift time periods as well because this is a video that travels through time I kind of feel like it has this, it's like got a circular, it's like a cue. It's got a circular structure and it's got this weird tail at the end that just goes off and does its own thing. So we'll we'll talk about that tail ending um, afterwards, but I definitely think we should talk about like all the vernacular jazz references and all the different eras that we see expressed and definitely how the aesthetic changes and how the visual effects assist in that time travel. So one of the things that definitely struck me, like you both mentioned, the high contrast, the close-ups at the beginning, but also like the shell tops, they've kind of come and gone more recently as a, as a wave of a trend. Like it is a classic shoe, but that was kind of nostalgic to see, but also a reminder of like, man, like this is real classic hip hop culture right here is like, we have the iconic shoe. But also they're wearing white gloves and tutting and doing all this intricate, um, you know, hand and footwork. And I really like how the beginning kind of sets up this interesting, mysterious kind of portal. And then we go back in time. We see like the swing dance. We see the partner work. We see the Lindy Hop. And how I kind of read that visual kind of reminded me of with Missy being like partially underground, partially unearthed is that we were unearthing this ancient idea and kind of going back in time. And I thought that was, I like that the entire video didn't revolve around that visual. Like you kind of got it and then it moved into the actual ride in the adventure. Um, but I definitely want to shout out like the Lindy hop and the partnering section, particularly after like the females are like thrown up on the wall. Mm. They fold forward. They get flipped over. Like that section there really reminded me of a clip from Howl's a Poppin that I've seen. And like it was just really cool to see it set to contemporary music. 
but have this classical vernacular movement. I just loved that so much. I think the movement really has a nice play between what's what's the real and what's grounded and sort of what is the impossible and what can only be done on film. Like we see the the moments with the dancers, um, it almost feels like you know they're they're putty and they're being thrown on the wall and they're they're moving there. And we even see that at the end with sort of the anti gravity mm-hmm. um, movement as well. And just those extremes really um, just really really heighten just how um, almost absurd it is or how almost extraordinary it is, even though it's an effect that's pretty simple. Absurdity, for sure. Uh, I mean, and that's a huge theme, I think, in a lot of Missy Elliott's music videos and has been, I don't want to say recycled, but it has been used in other cases of her work. And I think that's the the beauty of how her and Dave Myers were approaching all these situations of how do we create a music video that's not being conservative or just showing off things I mean obviously yeah we have that the Nokia style or the sidekick stylus or uh the moment with the jeep in there and you know that's the brand moment that is still being used to this day in music videos but how do we just you know, take advantage of what digital media can do that we're not able to do as much with film film. So I love that yeah. that they're taking advantage of, you know, atta- detaching her head and attaching it to a different body to highlight the mm-hmm. absurdity. And it's funny reading back in time uh, through some comments and what people were thinking at that time when they first saw it, going like, yeah, I guess they just thought, like, you know, that's good enough. Or, like, did they know, like, <laughs> did people know that that was not her body? And it's like, no, like, that's the whole thing. It's like, obviously, you know, we see we see Missy Elliott's body and she definitely dances differently <laughs> versus when yeah, her head is there's- detached. Yeah, there seems to be this really interesting tension of sort of the I don't I don't know how to say like virtuosic and not, but sort of like what's um what's planned and what's not in a way. Mm-hmm. Like the Jeep moment, like the moment where all the dancers are in a line where that where you have that really audible shift of the song mm-hmm. and a really shift in the tone. It literally looks like they're out there without a permit, you know, just you know, here's like the two minutes that we have without a car that's going to, you know, run us down. Let's go out. Let's do this choreography, go back and then run out the next chance we get. And there's something that's very, I don't know, that, that made me laugh upon this rewatch, especially in contrast to the previous scenes, which are so stylized and so controlled in a way. Yeah. And th- I think that kind of, to me, there's like the, quote unquote the ending of the video which is that part you're referring to with the jeep and with the line but then there's like this what I call the PS like this after Mm -hmm. section where they're like okay we're gonna completely remix and sample some of what you just saw and Tommy (laughs) Lee's here and speaking of absurdity like nothing's more absurd maybe nothing is more absurd than the actual ending ending of the video and the PS. And in a way, I kind of felt like 
it did remind me of um of walk this way with run dmc and the rolling stones and this mm-hmm. kind of like reach across the mm-hmm. aisle at a different genre of music to be like hey we're cool with each other like we make completely different stuff but at the end of the day we're both rock stars and we've got a lot more in common than you know than we do with you people <laughs> watching the video Mm-hmm. Like, isn't it hilarious? I can just get another celebrity to cameo in my really cool music video. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Apparently, he was is a huge Missy Elliott fan, and then she just and she just offered him like, "Hey, do you want to be in this?" And he just came and did it. So it was purely out of fandom. <laughs> well, and it probably helps with the watchability. And I wonder if, and I'm sure that those those music video channels had ways of measuring viewership well, and i bet that having that easter egg at the end of the video drove people to re-watch and to stay till the they end they didn't show that that was the thing it was actually really oh. common to cut that part out and that's also very common on a lot of uh works that i mean especially if you listen to uh timberland like a lot of the work that he's done with justin timberlake missy elliott um a lot of that those artists always had those PSs at the very end mm-hmm. of the tracks, and those are often cut out. Like one of my favorite, uh, twenty the twenty twenty experience with Justin Timberlake, uh, at the end of Mirrors, there's this like really great beatboxing section, uh, that just keeps going, and that's always cut out. A lot of that happens. So same thing with the Lose Control. You don't get that ending. I will say, um, because again, I was primarily a VH1 watcher, um, that ending was there on the VH1 cut. Really? And I have a theory about this, uh, because around that same time, for some reason, Tommy Lee was very, very visible. And this was right when um, all the I love the 80s, I love the 90s stuff was coming out. So people were having like, there's like a Motley Crue fan resurgence and so Tommy Lee was all of a sudden on the screen again and he was also in a VH1 reality show at the time so in VH1's case I think it was opportunistic to keep that in just to you know keep that as a recurring theme and just tie that into whatever whatever show that they were putting on at the time interesting thank you for mentioning reality show because that is another component of the media landscape reality show was the precursor to social media like reality show was the pseudo celebrity taking the tabloid into their own hands and being like no this is what my life is actually like actually quotations (laughs) remember it's a mediated reality that we oh for sure that's why i use my my ditzy (laughs) voice um but like the reality show and the tabloids kind of were the they were the precursor to the current social media we see and i think that that's part of what made the music video such a sacred mm-hmm. part of the artistry and even so now it's like it's this expected film or yeah. visual album that comes out with the work and you know people largely i can only imagine the difference in mindset between now and a hundred years ago, someone being like, I want to be a famous musician and I want to be successful, whatever that means. I want to be known and all the things you had to do and consider and wrap up into that effort has changed so dramatically. And that goes for like every profession, but I'm just thinking about that now. Like life has become so sophisticated and so complicated at the exact same time. And there's a weird, I don't know. There's, 
also upon rewatch, something I didn't notice is that they were filming in Joshua Tree, which is almost ubiquitous when it comes to sort of the, I guess, the more hippie, laid back uh, tone that we tend to see mm-hmm. a lot now. And it's something I didn't even recognize when I was watching at the time and only just noticed because I saw the trees. And I do love the the transition to on and on at the end because I feel that the different tone of the song and the heavier, almost more spare tone really brings out almost unnerving quality of some of the the setups and sort of the post-apocalyptic quality of the desert scenes and sort of the almost like a haunted feeling of the um the lindy hop and the um the club scenes as well it's a good it's a good environmental connector Mm -hmm. between you know the the archaeology of the beginning not the very first shot but you know that near the beginning i guess like what would be the second scene or second location and then even like the lindy hop section where they're in like the tavern or whatever it's got a very dusty look to it I was actually trying to like get ahead of our <laughs> our work and get some screenshots from the music video to put into our Google Drive and I wanted to use a section from the Lindy Hop bit and I couldn't find anything that yeah. was sharp enough because they like you know obviously put a video effect on it. I couldn't find anything sharp enough and like with enough contrast and with enough <laughs> stillness in it. So we're probably going to end up with like the hoodie yep. shot or the Jeep. I just wanted to mention how surprised that given the complexity of both the video and the song, the song is comparatively spare when it comes to composition compared to a lot of commercial work that we see. Like Missy Elliott herself produced the song. She came up with Mm -hmm. that beat. And it really is, I mean, the song itself is kind of as close to what a major label auteur track might be. And it's also a very simple one, just a very simple 4-4. Four, four. Like, we're not, we're not doing a hey-ya, <laughs> whatever the hell that time signature is. Um, it's a very simple 4-4 four, four and variations on it. And I think that that, almost that simplicity helps amplify everything else. It provides the great base to build everything else onto. Yeah, definitely, definitely really successful. It makes me think of uh, how Black Eyed Peas have become super successful in that nature as well when it comes to just like figuring out what works and then sticking with that and then letting the rest just happen for it and I respect that for musicians to do that you know like just take what works and go with it and maybe not producing the same beat every time but just figuring out what other people are gonna like I mean Daft Punk is another great example of that of that thread. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You brought up Black Eyed Peas, so I would be remiss not <laughs> to share this recent personal experience. I felt so old. There was a car driving nearby, and I heard A M. Yeah, man. Oh, but it was like so slowed down, and it was that Jack Harlow song, and I was like, "Am I so old?" That songs from when I was in high school are I now love old it. enough I'm to all for it. <laughs> samples. It, that was a very real moment for me. <laughs> I'm glad I had some support at that time. I love Black Eyed Peas. I have no hate. Well, something I wanted to 
say as we're wrapping up here and you know we could talk about each of Missy Elliott's music videos in depth and it was really hard to just pick one and even the one that we did I feel like we could go to even farther oh yeah depths even deeper depths but I think we did a good job kind of giving a nod to this very iconic era and I always look for like a symbolic takeaway or a message and like this song like it's a very literal song like music makes you lose control and my takeaway was that regardless of what time period you're in dead or alive like literally could resurrect you from the ground music makes you want to dance and music evolves like dance evolves over time the way that we celebrate music makes you want to dance and connect with other people and celebrate and in a similar way music videos are always going to be part of music culture just like dance is so to listen to music is to want to dance and to create and listen to music is also to engage in a video culture well and also i wouldn't say just dance obviously that's a part of it but like music in general is just like it's it's taking you over emotionally for sure i would say that starts first and then it's like do we go physical with that and i think that's where the losing of control happens is because the the music is taking over everything that's all you can think of it's taking it's creating making you feel a certain way it's making you think a certain way it's making you tap into areas of your brain that you probably don't access often and dance is a huge into it i I tapped right into the area of my brain i tapped right into the area of my brain that saw sierra's bangs (laughs) and thought that i should go down that path too and that was not the right choice for me (laughs) yeah the power and influence of music videos people and it's a music video and i mean song and music video that are both direct but have so many layers that you can experience them in so many different ways like with a song you can follow that you know very quick 16th note you know crescendo that really is the base of the song you can indulge in what are I think Wikipedia said nine beat drops throughout a three minute Mm -hmm. song which is insane (laughs) and you can also follow your way through the video in many different ways and see which which moments resonate with you and why it's a brilliant I think it's a brilliant really all-encompassing experience and also if you do listen watch the music video do try to listen with headphones on the it really is a surround sound experience yeah my friend I want to say that real quick music videos are just like songs in general nowadays don't give that same full effect of sound like they did in the early 2000s. And my friend brought this up today listening to some early 2000s work. And I was like, wow, he's so right. Like there's, you don't get that fullness that they made back in the day. You know why? Because people Mm -hmm. are tired. They are tired of listening and watching so much. And they're tired of how much they have to do just to survive and exist as a brand. That's disgusting, Jen. You just said that as a brand. Like, <laughs> it's so true. That's the sad part of it. Yeah, it's totally what it is. Like, an, an artist, they're more of a brand than an artist, considering, oh. I mean, depending how artistically they're involved in what they're doing. 
some of these pop stars are more of a product than an artistic approach. And it hurts. It does hurt. I didn't create the system. I'm just... I know, no, I I'm know. Just it's describing just, it's just so it. Funny how real <laughs> I'm that is. Doing the closed <laughs> captions for what I've observed all these years, and I think that really part of it is yeah. that there's the kind of media that they are responsible for managing. Like, how do you do a my mor- a day in the life, my morning, what I eat in a day, and here's my morning. I mean, my evening routine, and here's my my Trader Joe's haul. Like, how do people? manage to create all this media for all the areas of their life and then have artistic reserve to make a really good music video and then you know rewrite their own history through a Netflix documentary and then like you know it's (laughs) it must be so exhausting trying to be famous today and trying to I guess be that artist but ultimately be available creating a product and a product for consumption. There's been so many um, cases, with the, especially within the last year, of artists publicly complaining about labels making them do TikTok yep, videos I and sort that. of like this idea of feigning authenticity as far as, you know, maintaining this facade of a direct connection with their audience, which is, I mean, heavily mediated, but um, as you were mentioning earlier, Hannah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's exhausting just having basically all of your output reduced to content and i think that's the difference is it's all about the tent even like content is so saturated we now call it the tent because we can't even say content two (laughs) syllables you know so in a way like i think it's really important that we do look back and we do cite even those silly little details like the sidekick with the stylus because it reminds us how quickly and how much things change and also I gotta say how cool we think we are as things are happening and just like with you know fashion and clothing the more the more trendy you try and be this goes with like tech as well with movies the more trendy you try to be the more cutting edge the more dated you end up looking and if this video, does this video have some things that look kind of off and dated? Like, maybe. But I honestly think that it's a classic. And the ultimate message gets across regardless of the <laughs> fact that there's a little purse dog in it. They're going to come back, y'all. Oh, my gosh. I remember when people at high school actually had those purse dogs. I don't know how that was allowed. but Yeah, now they're on planes. Goodness. Now they're on planes and they're larger. <laughs> and with that, we will we will see what the future holds with shell tops and Adidas jumpsuits and purse dogs. Mm-hmm. So till then, <laughs> stock that cart now. Two of those things are very eternal in the European dance world. I will say that. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. <laughs> TTYL. <laughs> This is Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team, with social media assistance from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.